0: Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11, and let us explore this chapter together. The word faith occurs 32 times in the book of Hebrews. 24 of those occurrences are in chapter 11. Hence, Hebrews 11 has been called the faith chapter. And we're going to spend the next four Sundays... Studying the faith chapter. We're going to take our time and go through this chapter very slowly. Why? Because faith is what we need. It is a gift from God, and it is something we're to cultivate, having received that gift from God. You see, faith is how we interpret this chapter, but it's a faith in action. This chapter is about faith, but actually it's about men and women who live lives of faith. Men and women who put their faith in action, who acted on the basis of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. It is not an intellectual exercise into what is faith. It is an action movie. It is an action novel. It is an action piece of history. Faith in action. And it calls us to action. See, this chapter is bracketed By Hebrews 10, 32 to 39, which Jose preached last week, and it's appeal for us to endure in faith. And it's followed by Hebrews 12, 1 through 11, where again we're exhorted to run with endurance the race of faith. Folks, this is about faith in action. Faith in action. So let's read about faith in action. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Of the righteousness that comes by faith. The key terms here, friends, are faith and the unseen. Let us pray. Let us pray that God give us understanding here in this text. Lord, I pray for your anointing. As the word, your word, is preached, I pray for the sacred anointing, the sacred blessing that comes from you and your spirit. We are weak. And often we stumble in unbelief. Lord, give us faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church is filled with men and women who live a life of faith. Displayed in giving their time and talents and treasures to build God's church by declaring and demonstrating the gospel filled with them. Thank you. I'm looking at all of you. But one example of this is a couple who live a life of faith and have done so in this church for the last 10 years, and that is Miguel and Carmen Medina. I remember 10 years ago, Miguel and Carmen moved to Miami from Washington, D.C. area. Carmen was pregnant with their first, David um, over these last 10 years, Miguel has directed our worship team, participated and led outreaches to Cuba and the Dominican Republic. As a matter of fact, uh, Miguel and Carmen are going to be going to the Dominican Republic on July 17th. During these last 10 years or so, Carmen has borne their four children <laughs> and faithfully cared for them while also serving the church in creative arts, productions like the Extravaganza, interpreting our sermons Every Sunday morning, translating many of my messages into Spanish, allowing me to serve our brothers in Cuba and the DR. The Medinas, like many others in this church, live a life of faith in the unseen promise of God to reward those who build his church with the gospel. They've been pillars at Palm Vista. And it was for that reason that I met with Miguel about a week and a half ago. You see... Carmen and Miguel Medina continue to live a life of faith. And that faith, for them, has led them to leave Palm Vista. To leave the deep friendships they have forged here over these last 10 plus years. Why? To help build another church. Sovereign Grace Church of Miami, led by Jose Prado. In January, they will depart with the Sanchezes, the Machins, the Coonzies, Rick and Mallory, and Christy Piquet to be part of the launch team for Sovereign Grace Church of Miami. So about a week and a half ago at a Starbucks with tears in my eyes, I found myself leaning across the table and telling my dear friend Miguel how grateful I was for his life of faith, for their lives of faith. I thanked him for their faithful service to the Palm Vista family. And I told him that his life of faith has borne witness to God's faithfulness. I looked into his eyes and I said, I can't wait to tell your children of the legacy of faith and a life of faith and faithfulness to God that their parents have left for them. What a legacy to leave one's children. Their faith has borne witness of God, but not only to their children, to us as a church, every Sunday, week in and week out. And it's borne witness to an onlooking world. What have they borne witness to? God, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And Miguel looked at me through his tears and informed me that building the church was his life's work. It was what they would gladly give themselves to for the rest of their lives on earth. Friends, it was a holy moment. See, Miguel and Carmen's life of faith is a living illustration of the message of Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. And that message can be summarized in this one sentence. Live a life of faith that bears witness to God. Live a life of faith that bears witness to God. In the first point of our message, we will look at what characterizes the faith by which we are to live our lives. And then in point two, we will look at several examples of those whose life of faith bore witness to God. So let's look at point one. Live a life of faith. What characterizes the faith that should determine how we live our lives? Well, I believe the characterization, the definition of that kind of faith is found in verse one. It answers the question, what characterizes this faith? And it provides a definition of the faith we are to live by. Now, this definition is not a comprehensive definition. Let's be careful about that. Faith is not less than this, what we're about to read, but it is more. It's a very narrow definition that wants to look at faith that endures. Don't you see? That's the text. That's the context. Endurance. So let's look at this faith that endures. What is the enduring quality of faith? Well, here's what it says in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the first aspect of faith is, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This word assurance can also be translated an objective substance, a certainty. See, See, this kind of faith, is objective in nature. It is the foundation of what we hope for. So our hope is defined in Hebrews as Christ himself. So this kind of faith is an objective foundation. It's Christ. Our hope in Hebrews as well is of the inheritance that Christ will give us. Remember Hebrews 2? We lost the glory that God intended for us as men and women. We lost the glory of ruling over his creation under his authority. But one came to restore that glory, and that one is Jesus. That's our hope. Our hope is sharing in an unshakable kingdom. Chapter 12 will talk about this, an eternal kingdom. Our hope is sharing in in the new creation the new heavens, and the new earth. And faith here is defined as that which lays hold of what God has promised. Lays hold of it as real, solid, though unseen. This kind of faith is tied to God's truth. But not only is faith the assurance of things hoped for, the second part of verse 1, it's the conviction of things not seen. The word conviction here means an objective proof or a reality of what cannot be seen. See, faith looks at the end of time, the future promise of God, and brings it forward. It sees the unseen, that which is the future promise of God, and brings it all the way to the present and says, I'm going to live that way. It's a faith in that God is going to judge the world. It's a faith that God's going to give me his glory in Christ. It's a faith that the new heavens and the new earth are things that I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to be a part of. So I live today as if that were a settled truth. I serve in the church. I give to the church. I witness to unbelievers. I I care for the poor. I reach out to a a lost and dying world based on the truth of God's future. Unseen promises. It's why the Medinas have been led to live the way they have lived these last 10 plus years. It, It enables me to obey God. But this kind of faith is also a faith that God commends. Look at verse 2. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. You see, God commends this life of faith. This word commends there in verse 2 introduces the theme of a divine testimony. It's a key word used seven times in Hebrews. Four of those uses we will find in this chapter 11. It's used here in verse 2. We're going to use it again in verse 4 when talking about God commending Abel for his faith. We're going to see it again in verse 5 when God says that he commends Enoch for his faith. And we're going to see it again in verse 39, the last verse, or the second to the last verse of chapter 11. This idea of faith and commendation by God is very important in the book of Hebrews, and particularly in chapter 11. Now, the word commend here is the Greek word martyreo. Now, we get our English word martyr from that word. So, martyreo. And basically, what it means is to bear witness. A martyr is one who bears witness to something with his life. It's the ultimate price. It says, I'm going to bear witness to that. Here, it means that God is going to bear witness to us. What it says, literally, in verse 2, is the people of old, these are the saints of the Old Testament, received their commendation by it, by faith. As a matter of fact, what we see here today in verses 1 to 7 would be the people of old before the flood. We're going to take a look at Abel, we're going to take a look at Enoch, and we're going to take a look at Noah. And then next week, starting in verse 8, we're going to take a look at those those saints after the flood. We're going to see Abraham and all his descendants. So the people of old received God's commendation. God bore witness to them, Martureo. He said, these are people that I approve of because of their faith. In fact, the rest of the book of Hebrews is going to be a list of people that God approves because of their faith. And that list has often been called The Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. Now, if you're not aware of the term Hall of Fame, let me enlighten you. In sports, in music, uh, I don't know what else, they have Hall of Fames. So basically, if you're the best of the best in your sport, perhaps in in your music area, you would be voted into the Hall of Fame. It defines a person. Dan Marino, Hall of Famer. If you ever listen to any kind of broadcast where Dan Marino's there, they'll say, Hall of Famer, Dan Marino. It, It literally defines a person. It's a great honor. Here, we have a much greater Hall of Fame. Actually, it's called a Hall of Faith. And there's only one voter. That's God. And he is commending or bearing witness to, Martireo, those who have faith. God inducts them into his hall of faith. The rest of the the chapter 11 now, we're going to be meeting the inductees into God's hall of faith. But look at verse 3. Oh, friends. Verse 3 is very encouraging because in verse 3, we realize that we too can be inducted into the hall of faith. Notice how verse 3 begins. By faith. That, That term, by faith, is very important in, the, in chapter 11. It's going to be used time and time again to introduce the inductees. But notice, by faith, we, by faith, we, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What does verse 3 tells me? Verse 3 is a transition and introduces this term by faith, but it includes us. It's first person plural, we. And it's saying this, it teaches us that those who live a life of faith, God will commend. Those who bear witness to God that he is the creator of the universe, that he was able to create all that we see out of the unseen word proceeding from his mouth, he will commend. Now, there's a fancy term for this, it's called creation ex nihilo. Ex nilo is Latin for out of nothing. Very important doctrine. Certainly in play here, but I don't think it's the main point here. The main point is this God's word, which is invisible, produces visible results. And God commends people who believe that God's invisible word produces visible results. Certainly starting with the creation. We must begin there. We must begin with creationism. That's not even. Uh, in play, if you don't believe in creationism, please come talk to me, (laughs) because scripture teaches it, and it's the foundation. Interesting. There's a big, big war right now on that issue. Well, don't you see why? In scripture, it's the beginning, creation. If we don't believe God created all that we see from the unseen word proceeding from his mouth, then we're certainly not going to believe that that unseen word can also recreate a dead soul. We don't believe that God's unseen word can save me. We don't believe God's unseen word can change me, can change my children. Listen, we're to be marked as people that believe that the unseen word of God has visible results. Foundational. And friend, if you believe that, I don't care if you're really slow in changing, but if you believe that and live your life that way as the Medinas have, God commend you. You will be an inductee into the hall of faith. He will bless you, even as he blessed Abel. So let's look at verse 4. Let's look at the first inductee to the hall of faith. You'll be interested to know that the very first inductee to the hall of faith was murdered. He was actually the second human being born... Not created. Adam and Eve were created. Abel was the second. His brother, his older brother Cain, was the first one born to Adam and Eve. He was second, and he was murdered. He was murdered by his brother. And this is where God chooses to begin the inductees to the hall of faith. A man who is murdered. What a tragedy. And yet, though he was murdered, though he is dead, his faith continues to speak. Let's go back there. Genesis chapter four, verse three and through five. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter four, verses three through five. We're going to start actually in verse one, Genesis four one. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Oh, friends, uh, this is an aside. What the tragedy of the fall. They live in paradise. They choose to rebel God. And their, their children murder each other. And we've been murdering each other ever since. But God... In his mercy. God in his mercy gives us a picture of faith. When you read the account in Genesis, it does not say why Abel's sacrifice or his offering was accepted. But when you read in Hebrews, it tells you it was accepted because Abel gave it by faith. I find it very interesting that the first two human beings, the one whom God accepts his sacrifice, is a shepherd. Now, I don't have time to get into all the pictures or the typology of the Old Testament into the New Testament, but is it not fascinating? Abel is a keeper of sheep. He is a shepherd. Abel is struck down by his brother. Abel is unrighteously murdered, but though he is dead, his faith still speaks. Can you not see a picture of Christ, our good shepherd? But the main point is this. Abel, according to Hebrews 11, gave his offering by faith. Look at Hebrews 11, 4 again. By faith, Abel offered to God. New Testament, commentating on Old Testament. The analogy of faith here. We're going to see now the New Testament interpreting the Old. He had faith. Cain did not. He had faith. And because he had faith, he was commended. God says, there is my righteous. There is the one. I approve of him. Because of his faith. And to show that he approved of him, he accepted his offering. Oh, friends, I believe that Abel's faith was in the objective truth of God's promised reward and the as yet future and unseen sacrifice of Christ on the cross. How can that be, Al? Oh, Abel could not have told you Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who would die on a cross. But remember, Abel Abel surely would have known the promise that God made, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That was his mom who was given, who was in the hearing of that promise. And though he could not see clearly, but in a mist, all Old Testament saints were justified by faith, and faith alone in Christ, Christ alone. Though as yet an unrevealed Christ... That's the kind of faith we're talking about. in the objective truth of God's promised reward in Christ. And as a result, though, he's dead. His faith, it still speaks to us. Oh, friends, long when Car- after Carmen and Miguel are dead, their faith is going to continue to speak. It will speak through their children. It will speak through the, the churches that they have given their lives to build. This church was less than half the size it is now when they first came. Their faith will speak in the lives of people that they touch and the young men that Miguel's going to disciple as young worship leaders and the young women who will see Carmen as a a worker at home and and an example. And as she grows older, she'll be one of those older women teaching the younger women. And long after they're gone, their faith is going to speak. Will yours. Do you live in the unseen promises of God or do you live in the here and now? ignorance, unbelieving, as if you were an unbeliever, as if there were no judgment coming, as if there were no reward, as if there were no new heavens and new earth that's better than this heavens and this earth and a new body that's better than this old broken down body and things that won't rust or tarnish or thieves won't steal. Oh, friend, Abel is an example to us. A faith that God commends. The first inductee to the hall of faith. Now let's meet the second inductee into the hall of faith. This is Enoch. An interesting fact about our inductee today, Enoch never died. He's the only one. Now Christ died and was risen, but Enoch never died. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 5, please. Verse 22. Genesis 5, 22 says this. We are now uh, tracing the descendants of Adam. And in the Old Testament in Genesis, they're going to trace them all the way up to Noah. So you see that in Hebrews, he's just following the Old Testament pattern. We're going to talk about Abel. We're going to talk about the descendants of Noah. And one of them is Enoch. And then finally, we'll end with Noah. But look at Genesis 5, 22. Let's start with verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years... He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. That Hebrew phrase literally means he pleased God. You're going to see it's twice here when it describes Enoch. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years. (laughs) So the guy's 365 years old thus far. And had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now notice verse 24. Enoch walked with God. That means he pleased God and he was not for God took him well what does that mean how do you get out of that that Enoch never died well the New Testament's going to interpret that for me let's go to Hebrews now chapter 11 verse 5 Enoch uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 says this by faith so first of all we know that it was by faith that he pleased God do you see that if walking with God in the Hebrew text of 5:22 and 24 means pleasing God, Hebrews 11:5 tells us it was by faith. It wasn't by his works, it was by faith. It's by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. There it is. That's what it meant to be taken up. He never saw death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken up, check this out. He was commended, Martureo, as having pleased God. So Enoch pleases God. I believe that what Enoch saw down the quarters of time, not very clearly, but was the promise that God made that one day not only would Christ die on the cross, but Christ would be raised from the dead. And I'm not sure exactly about all this, but he himself did not experience death. And I'm not sure what the conversations between Enoch and Christ would have been like at that point. And I'm not sure what they're talking about now, but I know that they both live in heaven, but Enoch never died. Might want to be one of the first people I talk to when I get to heaven. Okay, Enoch, describe that for me. You never died. But one day he will receive a resurrection body because Christ will come back, and that's my hope. That was his hope, and that is what caused him to be pleasing to God. Notice this. We look at Enoch and we move to this verse 6. For, 4. it's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you have the story about Enoch. By faith, he pleased God. He saw the unseen. And then verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just hard to please God. Not just difficult, but impossible. It's impossible to please God. Why? Because whoever would draw near to God, so, so right here we see pleasing God, drawing near to God are synonymous. Drawing near to God is a key action point of the book of Hebrews. If Hebrews is about Christ greater than all, Greater than Moses, a greater prophet than Moses, a greater priest than Aaron, the great high priest. His sacrifice is greater than the ironic sacrifice of the Old Testament. The covenant that he initiates is greater than the Old Covenant. If those are the objective truths that Hebrews preaches, and boy, it does preach it, then the imperative or the response to those objective truths is what? Draw near to God. Draw near to God through Christ. So, pleasing God... He's drawing near to God. That's why the Old Testament can say Enoch walked with God. Adam, when he sinned, hid from God. Enoch walks with God. How can Enoch walk with God if he's a sinner? I don't understand it fully because of what Christ would do on the cross in his resurrection. And somehow Enoch put his faith in God that God would justify him. Because God said he would do that at the fall. This is the faith that justifies us. This is the faith that we must have, verse 6, to please God. Because without this faith, friends, you won't draw near to God. And some of you aren't drawing near to God. It's not a discipline issue. It's a faith issue. You don't really believe this. Oh, Listen, the faith that pleases God is the faith that draws near to God, and this is how it's characterized. Look at verse 6. Two things that that faith has. Number one, whoever would draw near to God must what? Believe that he exists. Number two, he must believe that God rewards those who seek him. That God is the one who rewards those who seek him. Let's start with believe that he exists. Do you remember when Moses, when Moses uh, was in the was in the desert, and God came up to him, and said, Moses, and Moses said, Yeah, here I am, and He says, Go, because I'm going to send you to deliver your people. And He said, Who should I say sent me? And God said this in Exodus 3:14, I am who I am sent you. You see the faith that we're to have, is not a faith like the world has it. Oh, I'm a man of faith. I believe something. No. The faith we're to have is the faith in truth of who God is. It is a faith that has its object as God himself, the true God. Not the one you make up in your head. Not the one the world makes up. But I am who I am. True faith is tied to truth. The truth about the living God. It's faith in what is true. So we must have that kind of faith. Number two, this kind of faith believes that God rewards those who seek him. See, faith and rewards go hand in hand here. See, faith that that allows me to draw near to God says that God's trustworthy. He's faithful. If he promised it, he's going to give it to me. This idea of God being faithful to reward. Well, we saw it in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verses 34 to 36. This was one of the points of Hosea's message last week. Remain faithful, endure, because God's going to reward you. Look at Hebrews 10, 34. For you have, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has what? A great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Do you see the connection there? This kind of faith says God is not a liar, though every man's a liar. God's not a liar. God will give me what he's promised. I've got to know the true God. I have to understand his promise. But I believe that God will reward me. He will give me what he's promised. What is his reward? Oh, friend, his reward is his very presence. The reward is God himself. But it's more than that. It's the glory that he promised us at the very beginning. It's the new heavens and the new earth. It's something better than this earth. So this man and this woman, he's working a backbreaking job, one-hour, one-way commute, not getting a lot of warm and fuzzies at work, uh, not making a whole lot of money at work, but what is he motivated by? He's motivated by an unseen kingdom, an unseen promise that God's a rewarder. And I know him. He's not perfect. They're not perfect. But this is a loyal, faithful couple who give generously financially with four children. And the world says, you're an idiot. And he says, no, I'm not. Because God's faithful to what he said he would promised. God commends them bears witness to them, and they bear witness to God. They bear witness to God. As Enoch, Enoch bore witness to God, as Noah will bear witness to God. Look at verse 7, the final verse here. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, what do we have here? We have here the conclusion of the first era of human history. Do you understand that what God's about to do in Noah's time is wipe everybody out and start all over? So in a sense, Noah is like a second Adam. Now, Christ is a second Adam. But from Noah and his children, God's going to recreate all people. He's going to wipe out everybody else. He's actually going to wipe out the earth. Again, no time to get into this. It's fascinating. Don't you see the picture? I mean, one day this era is going to come to an end. And Christ, who is the one from whom a whole new race has come, God's sons and daughters, will recreate this world and wipe it out and recreate a new one. Some good stuff here. All right, so what commended Noah to God. Why did God commend Noah? Why did God approve of Noah? Well, let's first look at the Old Testament account. Please turn back to Exodus, excuse me, Genesis 6. Genesis 6, please, so that we can understand this Old Testament that our author of Hebrews is quoting from and and referring to. Let's go to Genesis 6. We've now moved past Abel, we've moved past Enoch, and we're at Noah. Verse 9 of Genesis 6 These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let me ask you a question How can Noah be a righteous man? How can he be a blameless man when we know that all of humanity is marked by the stain of sin? Oh, friend, I preach this without any shame at all. I believe that Noah is trusting in Christ. Though he does not see him, he cannot tell you it's Jesus Christ. He is trusting in a righteousness that is not his, that's going to come from God. He pleased the Lord because of faith in God. Now, further. The earth was corrupt, verse eleven, in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh and had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them uh, with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Some say it's maybe close to 500 feet long. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door on the ark on its side. Make it with a lower and second and third decks. For behold, verse 17, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall die, but... Check this out. I will establish my covenant with you. Sounds like Adam. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. No time to go into the covenant with Noah, but very similar. You can study it for yourself. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and let's interpret. Let's see how Scripture interprets this. So now we're in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, by faith being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. What were those events as yet unseen, according to this text? The flood. Okay. So it's a a negative warning. It's a warning of judgment. So by faith, by faith, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now again, here's the main point. Noah was a righteous man like Abel. We saw that. He walked with God like Enoch. We read that. But what sets Noah apart here is that when he was warned by God about events as yet unseen, the flood, he exercised faith. He believed the warning about the flood and took action in building the ark. Folks, here's the deal. This is what Noah teaches us. We must see the unseen. We must see the unseen events that God said are coming. And we must take God at his word. That's all that Noah did. He took God at his word. He lived in a corrupt world. He himself was marked by sin, but he took God at his word. He built the ark. How long did it take? I don't know. 55, 75 years, who knows? Most commentators tell you that he took a lot of flack while he was building the ark. People mocked him. People said, what are you doing? This is absurd. Why are you doing this? I don't see any rain in the forecast. It never rains. Why are you building this ark? Because I'm taking God at his word. I'm living now, and the world says you're a fool. What are you building? Why are you building that ark? There's nothing coming. No, there is, because God said it, and I'm taking it him at his at his word, and no one else did. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you building? Why do you spend so much time? What are you doing on a Sunday morning? Why do you give your finances? Because there is a flood coming, and it's called the judgment of God when Christ returns. And now, he says, build the ark, build the church. Build a place where you run into or are safe because of Christ. Because I believe it, though I can't see it. Because the unseen promises of God, I'm going to make real today by my life. Though you don't see the promises, you see someone working as if those promises were true. However imperfect we do it. Oh, do we do it imperfectly. However lazily we might do it. Selfishly. But it bears witness. Do you know that in 2 Peter 3, 5, it says that, that, that Noah was a herald, a preacher of righteousness. I don't fully understand that text. You go read it. But it says it. Because he's going down to places. I'm like, well, what is going on here? But it says he is a herald of righteousness. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's preaching with his life. He's preaching with this faith. We're to live a life of faith, choice by choice. Day by day, over years, over years, over years. Do you do it perfectly? No. But man, I see it. I see it out there. I see the promise. I see the coming judgment. I see the promise to reward those who build his church, who care for his bride, who care for his people. I'm going to build now. I don't even understand hardly what it is sometimes. It doesn't look very pretty. Sometimes the church just doesn't look very pretty. But that's the only place you can run into. Because it's the body of Christ, Christ being the head, and be safe. And we bear witness to God. Look at the last part of verse 7. See where it says there? Sorry, in the middle. In reverent fear. In reverent fear. You could could translate those words in reverent submission. It's not a fear like, I fear you, I'm going to run away from you. It's a fear like, I'm in awe of you. In reverent submission, he builds this. His heart is taken. And then reading further there in verse 7. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and... You can add, by this, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is a herald of righteousness, preacher of righteousness, and he's an heir of righteousness by faith. The first one, by this, by his faith, Noah condemned the world by his lifestyle and actions. We see here that we as Christians, we're either going to convict the world or condemn the world. But as Matthew Henry said, we don't condemn the world by faith by our tongue, by by telling them they're wrong, by saying they're going to hell. Don't do that. That's not what Scripture calls you to do. We condemn the world simply by living as if that were true. So when we live as if that were true, Christ is coming. Christ is going to build his church, and they're not living that way. It condemns them. Not by my judgment, but by my life of faith. And that's what uh, Noah did in his time. And secondly, secondly, we become heirs of righteousness. Oh, friends. What, 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 is, what, what is being emphasized there is this. What did Noah inherit? He inherited a new world. Dude gets in the ark in one world. Dude gets out of the ark in a totally different world. And he, he's the king of that world. Now, in a world with just like five or six people, you're the king, no big deal. But he's, who's your daddy? Everybody's saying Noah. Because everybody else whose daddy wasn't Noah are dead. I have a unique way of looking at things, don't I? Okay. So sorry. He inherited a new world. What do we inherit? If he became an heir of righteousness because of his faith, and that inheritance was many things, but it was a new world, what do we inherit? A far better world. A world that will never, ever end. A world that's new creation, a new heavens, a new earth. What it's saying here is when I have the faith of Noah to see the unseen, when I live my life as if the unseen were a reality, it's a foundation for me. It is here. It is certain. When I walk with God by faith, not in my uh, acts, but in what Christ has done God commends me. He approves of me. He bears witness to me. And I commend or bear witness to him to a lost and dying world. And friends, that's what we're called to do. You see, this, this whole air of righteousness at the end of verse 7, it connects us with verse 8. Because we're going to now look at next week after the flood, these heirs of righteousness, Abraham and his sons. We are heirs of salvation. We are heirs of righteousness. Are you? Are you building in light of the unseen future promise of God? Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you have saved us and you have called us though we don't deserve it, you have actually placed us in the ark and shut the door behind us. We were running away from the ark. We were actually playing in the raindrops of this monumental flood, thinking it was a a, a fun day to splash around in the water and disregarding your warnings of impending doom and judgment, we were blind, we were, we, we were uh, deaf, we were, we were rebellious, and you plucked us out of judgment. And you placed us in the ark. You placed us in your church through Jesus Christ, your son. And you've given us life. And you've given us the ability to please you. You've qualified us to walk with you by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we just want to say thank you. And, Lord, I pray that we would continue to live our lives, lives of faith that bear witness to you. So often we live lives that bear witness to everything but you, to the American dream, to our own selfish ambition, to things we want to build. But, oh, Father, may we live lives of faith that bear witness to you to your son, to what you said is going to come, the future unseen promises, the future unseen judgment. Oh God, may we bear, may we live these lives of faith and may they bear witness of you and may that witness preach to our generation. Even as Noah preached to his. May we be heralds of righteousness, as heirs of righteousness, all because of Christ, the righteous one. May our legacy be What faith builds. What the world mocks. But what you commend. Lord, if there are those here this morning that that are untouched by this, mock this. Oh, would you convict them that they would come to you in reverent submission and obey you? For those of us that are a little discouraged this morning because we haven't done so well on our building and our faith has waned. We've lived maybe more in unbelief than, than, than faith. God, encourage us. Because great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. As Jose said, we come to you based on your faithfulness, not on our faithfulness. So stand and quietly sing this song. How great is your faithfulness, please. Make this your prayer to God. Cry out to your God. Draw near to God because he is. He's the great I am and he rewards those who draw near to him and seek him because of Christ. Let's sing together. I asked Miguel if I could just share something before we sing further. Folks, I love this song. If you could put that uh, chorus up there, the heavens ring, the saints all sing. This is direct application of the command two weeks ago. That because of Christ's sacrifice, we're to stir up one another to love and good deeds. God wants us to draw near together. Let us draw near to God. It's not just individual. It is that, but it's, it's more than that. Do you realize that this morning, Enoch is singing and worshiping God? Now, I don't know what he's singing. Maybe he's not singing, but he's worshiping God, okay? As is Abel. As is Noah. Noah. When we get into chapter 12, we're going to see there's a a crowd of witnesses. And that crowd of witnesses is saying, go, go, Palm Vista. Worship God together. Draw near together. He's worthy. His coming. His promises are true. That's, That's what we're doing right now. So can we, let's just do it with all of our hearts. And if you lack faith, just say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief, please. Get your eyes off yourself, off your circumstances and worship the awesome god in reverence submission let's start with the first verse please my friends may the lord bless you and may the lord keep you and may the lord make his face to shine upon you and may the lord give you the ability to do more than just sing of his faithfulness but to serve in light of his faithfulness and to give in light of his faithfulness and to forgive in the light of his faithfulness and to proclaim the gospel in the light of his faithfulness and to feed the poor in the light of his faithfulness and to care for the widow and the orphan in the light of his faithfulness and to protect the unborn in the light of his faithfulness and to preach and be a herald of righteousness my friend as you are an heir of righteousness Amen Amen God bless you If you're a first time guest, love to say hi to you right through these doors. You are dismissed.